Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the pod. Welcome back to Crunch Time with Keegan and the Boys. I'm joined today by Sam Godsey and Tanner Dislin. Welcome to Super Bowl week. We've nearly made it to the big game. Let's break that down and more here on episode 39 of Crunch Time. We'll start off with winners and losers. Get those out of the way before getting to some other things. We, we got a few things to break down before we get to the Super Bowl. That's how we'll wrap up the episode. Our winner of the episode has to be who, Sam? You know, I mean, I feel like it's a slam dunk who the winner is. I see what you did there. Of course, is the Arkansas Razorbacks upsetting number one Auburn at home last night. Ended up winning 80 to 76. J.D. Note putting the Razorbacks on his back, dropping 28 five and two just a absolute great game it really came down to free throws in this one auburn shot 47 percent and arkansas shot 81 percent and that is in all reality why uh arkansas came away with in this one how many free throws did auburn shoot in the game i'm curious so uh, Auburn shot 17, so they shot 8 for 17. Arkansas, on the other hand, shot 32, uh, shot 26 uh, for 32. I was going to – I mean, 17 is a lot to go 47%. That's a yeah, a tough show. But all aboard the must bus. It's back, baby. Yes, sir. Yeah, I think something wild about, uh, about the game is you know, the, the Razorbacks were thoroughly dominated on the glass. You know, Auburn had 60 total rebounds to, to Arkansas's 42. And Auburn had 24 offensive rebounds. So they had 24 second-chance opportunities, oh, yeah. you know, to, to Arkansas's 11 second-chance opportunities. So typically speaking, when you're dominating that particular stat, that's pretty key into determining who's going to win a close game. It didn't go that way. And Arkansas yeah. was able to get the big win. Well, when you have like two seven footers on the floor at the same time, and Jabari Smith and <laughs> but, Walker Kessler, it's kind of easy. Rebounding yeah, Arkansas centers like six nine, six ten. So yeah, yeah. I was like having two seven footers, it definitely doesn't help. So, but the Razorbacks getting the big win and the winner of the episode. Our loser of the episode would be who? Tanner. Of course, it's got to be someone who was in the news recently, uh, and that is Alvin Kamara. It was released that he has been, I think he made bail, but he has been released after being arrested for battery resulting in bodily harm, where he allegedly attacked a man, and him and some friends attacked a man outside of a Vegas club, where he allegedly punched him eight times. So a, uh, certainly some, some off-the-field issues with Alvin Kamara, and hopefully he's able, hopefully everyone was all right. And hopefully things are able to uh, work themselves out over there because that is a that is a tough situation. And then of course he had to go and play in the Pro Bowl, so uh, <laughs> that's almost like a almost like a double loser there. A, a two hand touch football game <laughs> where I don't even know how to describe. Wait, what what are we even doing here, folks? <laughs> what, what, I don't even know how to describe the level of a joke that is the Pro Bowl now. So like, I don't like a what's the point of even that? playing it? Two hand touch. Bro, come on. Yeah, we had we had like majority of the defensive players in the game were just like, what am I even doing here? Like the defensive linemen, especially. They're, they they could not give a crap about whatever was going on in the game. I don't know, man. Uh, it seems like a great time to me. <laughs> I like, is there is there any way to salvage the Pro Bowl? Because I mean, I feel like it's something that nobody has really cared. Is, is this still salvageable for the NFL? Like, because this is by far the worst all-star game of like, you know, the big three professional sports. I, I honestly don't know, but just because for as long as I can remember, it was just the, no one gave a crap about the Pro Bowl. Yeah. And I mean, when you talk about the festivities, I mean, I, I thought the festivities were kind of fun, looked kind of fun. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the crazy catch that, that Justin Jefferson won and then, you yeah, had the uh, like dodgeball, like that's fun. A bunch of NFL players playing dodgeball. The the accuracy contest for quarterbacks, like that, all looks like it's fun. Just, I mean, honestly, I didn't even know those were happening. So it could be a lack of marketing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I, all I knew was that they play some stupid game. I didn't know anything about the festivities, and they were not 
front and center like the NBA does it. So I'm thinking maybe it's a marketing issue, but I, I honestly don't know how, how you fix this. Yeah, because, I mean, the game itself, if we're, if we're breaking down the game of football, it's a, it's a very – you know, it's a very physical game that can lead to injuries. And so nobody wants to put everything out there because they don't want to get injured in a game that doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I don't know what they do. Um, it could be timing, but I don't know where else they would do it because every other league does it like in the middle. But I feel like that'd be pretty difficult to do with right. football short season. Honestly, just doing the festivities because I, I agree, Tanner, that everything except the game was pretty cool to watch. I mean, I watched it. I <laughs> it looked cool on Twitter media. because we didn't know what was happening. <laughs> See, that, but, that's the problem. Like, dodgeball's fun. I mean, everyone loves a good dodgeball. The crazy catch. So, I think just going away with the game mm. might be the best option and just doing all the fun stuff, you know? Scrap yeah. the game, double the double the contest, double the the other festivities, and market it for the love of God. Do we get rid of the the lines and do like six on six football with, you know, you, you get your quarterback, your the quarterback's not allowed to rush, and I at least make it flag football, right? Yeah, yeah not too, yeah, not too man touch. I mean, come on. Yeah, flag football that at least be better than two two hand touch. A celebrity yeah. game. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. NFL marketing, we are available. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Hit us up at Time underscore pod, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. Let us know. Let's, we've talked too much about the Pro Bowl. Let's, as soon as we mentioned the Pro Bowl, we talked too much about the Pro Bowl. <laughs> Go ahead. No kidding. Uh, let's let's get to some of the trades that happened recently. Uh, the Pelicans and the Blazers made a trade. The Blazers are getting Josh Hart, Thomas Sadoransky, Nikel Walker-Alexander, and Didi Luzada, as, as well as a 2022 protected first-round pick and two second-round picks, in which the Pelicans in return get C.J. McCollum, Larry Nance Jr., and Tony Snell. So that's a big move for the Pelicans, getting Josh – I mean, getting C.J. McCollum. Blazers getting under the salary Sick. cap. Pacers and the Cavs making trades. Cavs getting Karis LeVert and a 2022 second round pick. With the Pacers getting Ricky Rubio, a lottery protected 2022 first round pick, a 2022 second round pick, and a 2027 second round pick. That one's way out there. The Pacers weren't done though, making a trade with the Kings. Kings getting DeMontis Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, and a 2027 second round pick, where the Pacers get Tyrese Halliburton. Buddy Hield and Tristan Thompson. So those are the biggest trades that happened as of recently. Which was the biggest winner? Which team benefited the most from these trades? Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the Kings here. Uh, Demontes Sabonis, in my opinion, is definitely one of the most underrated players. But it's not just that. The Kings also got rid of the terrible contract of Buddy Hield. It's way overpriced way too many years so unloading that and kind of breaking down their overload at guards as well is why i think the kings uh, had the best trade of all these yeah i think that's a, a good point i think a, a lot of people are, are overreacting because i think a, a lot of looking at the kings trading tyrese halbert and someone who, who i think a lot of people hold in high value as the Kings not knowing what they're doing. Certainly it surprised me. Um, but as you said, Sam, a, a huge overloaded guard. Uh, you get Devonta Sabonis, as you said, one of the most underrated players, but also he's only 25. I think people forget that because he's kind of bounced around, been around a little bit, and, and now is emerging as a solid, if not star in this league. And, and get, being only 25 years old, I mean, he, he's still quite young. So I, I, I do kind of like this trade from the Kings, and I, and I do think that they got better and put in a better position, especially being able to unload that Buddy Heald contract that uh, certainly was a head-scratcher from the beginning. One team I want to I focus on is the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, look at what this team has been able to do so far this year. I mean, the, the, the big lineup that we talked about with Lori Markkinen and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen – now getting Karis LeVert, a, a bona fide guard scorer, someone who can, even if he doesn't fit in your starting lineup, he can come off the bench and be that critical piece 
that can that can score when you have your your reserves in. So I think the Cavs got a lot better, and it's it's a key piece for a deep run and and a team that right now looks like it can compete with anybody in the East, right? So so you add another score, especially one off the bench. I really like what the Cavs did, and and not giving up too much for it. I mean, you give up you give up a, a lottery protected first round pick, so you're probably gonna make the playoffs. So that that pick is probably going to to Indiana, but like I said, not in lottery. So it's not all, not, not all that valuable. So all of that put together, I think the Cavs got a lot better and uh, it's a very good piece to make a run in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, they are, they're losing one second round pick because they're giving two and getting one back a lottery protected first round pick, like you said, and they're giving away Ricky Rubio, who's a 31 year old guard and getting back Harris Levert, who's a 27 year old guard. So not only you're getting younger, you're getting better. But I mean, this this Cavs team went fully healthy. I mean, is it when this team's fully healthy, aren't they a LeBron James away from a yeah. NBA championship? Like LeBron, come home once again because it feels like LA they're not they're not cracking out for all what they're supposed to be. So LeBron making the last uh, one last return to Cleveland. That's an NBA contender right there that they're, they're going to be close, but you know, right now they're kind of on the outside looking in, in terms of contenders, but this gets them one step closer to where they'd like to be, which (laughs) they're getting better so much quicker than any of us could have ever imagined. We've, we've talked about them several times. I I think a team that we also need to talk about are the Pelicans. I don't get Damian Lillard has to be leaving the Blazers, right? Cause they're getting rid of CJ McCollum. When Dame signed this contract that that kept him in Portland, you kind of got the sense that this was the last time he was going to sign one of these contracts with them unless they were to go out and get some pieces, get some guys alongside him, alongside CJ, get some forwards for once in his career that could so- actually do something. By getting guys, I assume you meant Josh Hart, Thomas Sadoransky, Nikhil Walker Alexander, and DD Lazuda, right? I mean, they that they went out and got the guys. <laughs> it's like you trade the best <laughs> remaining piece from your team and you get back just a, a bunch of role players. Like these guys are like they're 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 NBA players. I'll give you that. But in terms of getting guys at the trade deadline. The Trailblazers are selling. They're not buying pieces. They're selling them away. I can't imagine that that Dame's going to be there much longer, unless he's a guy that's just happy to get, just happy to get his bag, get his money. And uh, but I mean, the Pelicans, they got better. Like now, with a healthy Zion down the road, which we'll see if that's even possible at this point. But I mean, you could be running a lineup out there with, let's see, Devonte Graham. CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Zion, and then Jackson Hayes. I mean, at least Portland, I mean, they did get a first round pick as it stands right now. Uh, New Orleans holds the 10 spot. So they're looking at the, at the play in tournament, but you add a score like CJ McCollum, that could easily turn that pick, take that pick out of the lottery, and which, of course, drives down the value of that pick drastically. So perplexing. With that, we're going to take a we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this ad talking about the Super Bowl. We finally made it. Let's talk about it right on the other side of this ad. Welcome back from that ad. Let's talk about the Super Bowl. We're finally just a few days out. We have the Cincinnati Bengals going to LA to take on the Rams. There are quite a few headlines here. So, right off the bat before we start to dive into some of the details of this game for you what's the biggest headline for the super bowl for me it's all about the cincinnati Bengals because when you look at this postseason what is the story the Bengals seemingly doing the impossible i mean when you look at this game rams versus Bengals, can you name me one singular football reason why the Bengals should win the rams have way better defense Cincinnati's offensive line really struggles. That Rams defensive line is a huge strength of theirs. Off the, the Rams offense, you have those Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham Jr. as weapons on the outside. You have a solid running game, and you have Matt Stafford, who has been playing really well this postseason. So all of that combined, it just looks like 
Cincinnati should really struggle in this game. But that's also been the case against Kansas City. I mean, game after game, I think I just don't see how Cincinnati wins it and they continue to win. So that is the storyline for me is just can Cincinnati keep it up? Because like I said, I can't find one football reason why Cincinnati is going to win this game. The only way they win this game is they keep defying the odds like they have all year long. So, so that's my storyline is all about Cincinnati, whether they can keep up doing the impossible. A storyline I'm looking at is the battle of these court top two duos in the league in Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford. And then obviously on the other side, you have Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. And who's going to end up winning that? Obviously, the Rams will uh, – probably slow down Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase just having that better defense but that's a outlook or a thing I'm looking at in this game and just seeing who comes out on top between those four players yeah and I mean among those four players are two first overall picks Matthew Stafford was the first overall pick in his respective draft as was Joe Burrow just two years ago and both of those quarterbacks of course from the SEC so no matter what championship we're talking about in football, we can't seem to escape the SEC. My storyline is, can the team that's been selling away their future finally get it done? Because currently, the Rams are on pace to go seven consecutive years without a first-round pick. And in 2017, they didn't have a first-round pick. And they're not going to have a first-round pick unless they trade for one until 2024. In 2017, they, in part of going up to go get Jared Goff, they got rid of their 2017 first-round pick. 2018 first-round pick uh, to acquire Brandon Cooks from New England. Uh, 2019, they, uh, let's see, they traded the first-round pick. to They traded out of the draft in 2019. 2020, 2021, Jalen Ramsey. 2022, 2023, Matthew Stafford. So that's this isn't even talking about what they gave up to go get Von Miller. I don't know if they get did they give first round picks to get Von Miller? Because if they did, it's even longer than seven years. Regardless of which way it lands on there, whether they did or did, didn't give up picks for Von Miller, this is a team that's been consistently selling away draft picks to try and get better now. So can the team that's been adding Von Miller, that's added Odell Beckham Jr., that traded the farm to go get Matthew Stafford, can that team finally get it done when it matters most? The Rams have made it to the Super Bowl before, hardly scored any points against the New England defense. The Cincinnati Bengals, this isn't Bill Belichick. This isn't some great defense. They're, they should and, put up points. And Matt so, Stafford isn't Jared Goff. I also Matt's, throw that in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, I just I just went and looked it up, and apparently they, they gave a second and a third for Von Miller. So they yeah. still kept their they kept a first. They kept their first from 2024, but seven consecutive years without first round pick, and that that's if they don't sell anybody else. And that could be all worth it. One one more win, and it's all worth it. No kidding. One more win, it's all worth it. One loss, I I, I mean you can run it back next year. I don't know what their salary is looking like. And they have, they have all the talent in the world. So with the Rams having all the talent in the world and with the path that the Bengals have gone through so far, knocking off the Titans, the number one seed, taking down the Kansas City Chiefs en route to a Super Bowl matchup with the LA Rams. If the Bengals win the Super Bowl, in that situation, Who's the face of the NFL? Everyone loves a good uh, comeback story. And Joe Burrow is definitely one of those players getting cut from or transferring out of Ohio State, then picking Dwayne Haskins over him, and then going to LSU, who was struggling at the time, and they just go on win the natty like it's no big deal. But with that being said, I still can't put that guy over Patrick Mahomes. As much as it pains me to say that, I think it's hard. You need to show me a little bit more than just one Super Bowl um, and one dominating playoff performance to kind of pass up 
Patrick Mahomes for me. So I still think Patrick Mahomes is going to be the face of the NFL despite the outcome of this game. So, so I get that. I firmly believe that Joe Burrow would be the face of the NFL because if we're breaking down these last three years for Burrow, if he wins the Super Bowl, he will have won the Heisman Trophy, won the national championship on one of the best college football teams of all time. His next year, he goes into a terrible situation in Cincinnati where the team wins four games that year. They have the worst offensive line in all of football, but man, is that guy trying his hardest. He's winning fans over saying this guy is putting his body out on the line and it, and it costs him. He, he tears an ACL. He's out for the rest of the season. People didn't know if he'd be able to start. And then he beats Patrick Mahomes twice this season in route to the Super Bowl. Beating and making a massive comeback, 21 to 3, a 21 to 3 comeback over Patrick Mahomes' team. And then win the Super Bowl. And presumably, if this Bengals win the Super Bowl, he'll be half a Super Bowl MVP. So in three years, Heisman, National Championship, Super Bowl MVP, and Super Bowl. All of that in three years. And on top of that, one of the things that you need to be the face of the NFL is you got to be a likable character. Now, people like Patrick Mahomes. But unfortunately, when you put the name Mahomes out there, Patrick isn't the only one you think of. Yes, you, you think about uh, you think about Jackson Mahomes and some of the shit that he does. But then you got Joe Burrow, who's one of the coolest guys in the NFL. Let's say you want to talk about someone who's cool as a cucumber. I mean, this is a guy who, in an interview, when he was wearing a chain, someone asked him if it was real, and he said. You think I make this much money for the chain to not be real? This is what this guy is like as a human being. So not only from the football side, but also just from the person side. If, if the Bengals win the Super Bowl, Joe Burrow is going to be the face of the NFL. All right. Um, let me ask you this, Keegan. Um, <clears throat> so, so you think, I mean, this question comes up because of the retirement of Tom Brady, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Was, was Tom Brady a likable guy? Were people rooting for Tom Brady and talking about how likable he was? Because I remember I, it being quite the opposite, how everyone wanted him to lose because he wasn't all that likable. That, that, that's definitely true. But in this situation, we're not talking about, you know, him, him overtaking Mahomes because Mahomes was the obvious successor. Now, this is a guy that has one MVP and has one Super Bowl. And so Burrow, like, this isn't someone who has seven rings that they're trying to overcome. This is someone with one ring, one MVP, and this is a guy who seems to have just as much talent and just has so much more swagger to him. And for both of those reasons, I think that's what puts Burrow ahead of Mahomes. So I get what you're saying. Okay. Well, you know, jumping into this question, Keegan, I actually do disagree with you. I still think it's Mahomes because if you look at the football – you mentioned the football accolades. Yeah, but the fact of the matter is two of the three weren't in the NFL. They were in college, and we're talking about being the face of the NFL. And in Mahomes' four years in the NFL, he has lost in the AFC Championship game, won the Super Bowl, won the, or lost the Super Bowl, and now lost in the AFC Championship game. So he is playing big game after big game. You also mentioned the, the, the family things. Yeah. Yes, I mean, we all agree that they are very annoying, yeah. but it also – creates a rooting interest and and this isn't I, I disagree with the point about being the most likable isn't always the most likable it's the one you think of right and I think that right now when you think of the NFL and you think of good quarterback play and you think of the playoffs I think of Patrick Mahomes and everyone rooting against him because they don't want to give the platform to Jackson Mahomes and don't want to deal with that <laughs> so I actually yeah. think in terms of face of the NFL his his the popularity of his family or, or lack thereof, I guess, uh, works in his favor, but uh, I completely understand your point. I mean, <laughs> I, I agree with the likability. I think Joe Burrow is way more likable. I just don't know if that translates to being translates to being face of the face of the NFL, but yeah. who knows? Maybe we're wrong. And Joe Shiesty is heading to <laughs> heading his way to the face of the NFL. I mean, it would be, it would be awesome. I mean, I, you know, yeah. we, we, like you said, all he went through through college having a, one of the worst situations in the NFL uh, because of that, having a major injury and, and bouncing back the way he did. 
uh, certainly is certainly going to be a, a huge storyline for the in the NFL to come. Face yeah. the NFL, I think I'm still leaning Mahomes. Though. We're so we're not we're splitting we're, hairs. I, I, exactly, we're splitting hairs here, and I feel like we're not really going to know who the face is until it's obvious. And also, you know, we, uh, we got a few faces. Yeah, Josh Allen might want a word too. Because uh-huh. remember, <laughs> remember just a few weeks ago when we were talking about. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes being the the Brady Peyton Manning thing, and mm-hmm. then someone said something like Joe Burrow might have to want to might want a word there. Well, apparently he wanted so more than Justin just Herbert. a word, and like <laughs> Justin Herbert as well. And so we we got plenty of guys in the NFL. But without further ado, let's actually dive into some of the analysis of the game. Is is there anything that the Bengals do better, or is this just the case of this a team going on a run? I'm inclined to believe that 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 it's a team going on a run, but those are the hardest teams to stop. You know what I'm saying? Because, like as you said, when you look at you look at the scheme, you have the one of the best defensive lines in the NFL, probably the best, against one of the worst offensive lines, certainly the worst that made the playoffs, yeah. um, and and the worst among quality teams so joe burrow should be running for his life every down the running game should be non-existent i mean mm-hmm. the, the, the 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 blocking isn't there and then your biggest weapon are your wide receivers and the best one of that being jamar chase is gonna have jalen ramsey on him all game like it seems like like cincinnati should have no shot but the joe burrow effect is in full force i mean this guy has done it time and time again when he's running from his life he is at his best mm-hmm. and and doing doing what mahomes did so well pulling a rabbit out of a hat and make improvising making things happen that is who he is he's a winner he is a player like that so uh, again all, all signs point towards the rams but i'm just not ready to to call it a 100 rams victory because of the burrow effect so, so that's where I'm sitting right now. It's just everything says it should be the Rams, but the Bengals are hot. Yeah. I mean, there, there have been several times in the past where it looked like one team was just going to roll over the other team. I mean, the one that jumps out to me the most is, you know, the, the undefeated Patriots taking on the New York Giants, who mm-hmm. was a wild card team in those playoffs. And of course, you know, uh, Eli Manning goes out and, I mean, he's Tom Brady's nemesis. Postseason? I can't – they beat anybody else in the, play, in the playoffs? I can't remember. Yeah, uh, You know what? I can't, I can't remember. I don't know what you're <laughs> talking about, Tanner. I, I – uh, uh, yeah, yeah, they beat the Packers in Green Bay. And, Just wanted you to say it. All right, continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam, take it away. What, do you, what are you thinking about this game? <laughs> Talk about a movie-like scenario here. Terry, you mentioned it. It's very obvious the Rams are the better overall team. I don't think there's much debate there. But you have this amazing underdog story with the, of course, it's a quarterback who had a terrible backstory and is leading this team to glory. Is literally some straight out Hollywood. But like you said, it's that Joe Burrow magic. I I just am glad this is going to be a good game. I think it's going to be one of the better Super Bowls in the recent past. Um, I like both teams. Like, love me some Joe Burrow. Have always loved Matthew Stafford. Um, could could do away with some Rams player like uh, Jalen Ramsey, OBJ. Um, <laughs> but again. Jamar Chase uh, let me win our fantasy league over. <laughs> so, but so did Cooper Cup. So oh, it's that's just a wide good. receiving core. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. Um, yeah, I didn't but, have. Yeah. I didn't have a prayer in that. <laughs> when, when, you have, when you have Jamar Chase and Cooper Cup, once in a quite a long time, I'm actually excited about the actual football game. So. I don't know what's going to happen. I I want to say the Bengals uh, are going to somehow pull it off. But with that amount of talent, I and Matthew Stafford finally getting his chance to uh, win a Super Bowl after all of his hardships in Detroit, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I seriously don't. It's a toss-up for me, honestly. 
the the last time we had a Super Bowl that went all the way down to the wire was in 2018 when you know uh, Nick Foles knocked off the Patriots. I mean, because you have the Patriots winning 13 to three, three Super Bowls ago, uh, Chiefs over the Niners 31 to 20 two years ago, and then last year 31 to nine Buccaneers over the Chiefs. Yeah, so it's 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 been several years since we've had a close, entertaining game all the way through because sure 13 to three that was close but oh that was was, even even though it was close it was probably one of the worst super bowls i've ever Mm -hmm. seen in my life just because no one likes watching a low scoring super bowl and but i just adding one more thing about joe burrow and the Bengals because not enough can be said about what they've done in terms of overcoming adversity in one game you're down 21 to three in a different game, you're up against the Titans, and Joe Burrow gets sacked nine times, and they still pull out the victory. You know, when when you nearly sack the quarterback double digits, typically that ends up in a win. Like that's such a rarity in the NFL, and even more so a rarity for someone to be sacked that many times and get the win. So the Bengals being over to being able to overcome adversity is going to be a huge thing in this game because of how much adversity they're about to go up against. Because, Tanner, you've talked about their defense. Sam, you've mentioned Matthew Stafford and some of his backstory, being in Detroit for years. And, you know, the thing about Matthew Stafford when he was in Detroit, was it the fact that he never had enough talent around him? Or was it the fact that he was always guiding his team to close games but couldn't get it done? Which Matthew Stafford's storyline is going to play through here. During this playoff run, He's been he's been stepping up in big moments. The Buccaneers game. <laughs> it's like talk about that Tampa game. He played nearly flawless in that one. But then you have the championship again, the NFC Championship against the 49ers, where there were several interceptions dropped that were directly to the 49ers secondary. One one uh, one other storyline is Evan McPherson for the uh the, the kicker for the Cincinnati Bengals. We've mentioned him before. He's two field goals away for tying Adam Vinatieri for the most kicks made in one postseason, this being done as a kicker. That, that's the storyline that just jumped out to me that we didn't mention earlier that I wanted to throw out there. We could, we could have a record for this postseason. Getting back to the game, let's make some predictions. So let's give winner and let's give score. So who wants to take this one first? I'll take it first. Why not? So uh, I talked about just the, the anomaly in my mind of trying to pick this game because two competing forces, both of which have been successful in the past. But with that being said, I look at this Cincinnati team and I think who is going to guard Cooper cup. And that I think is where the Los Angeles Rams will win this game. So I have the Rams I actually have it a little bit more high scoring. I think uh, Cincinnati will be able to score some points on, on the Rams defense, but not enough, not enough. And I think the Rams will win this game 34, 31. I have the Rams. It's a coin flip for me. I mean, we've said over and over again, the Rams are clearly the better overall team. And I love Matthew Stafford, but I got to go with Joe Burrow and these Bengals. They're somehow, somehow, some way, against all odds, somehow are going to pull this off. And I got them winning, game-winning field goal, Evan McPherson, 31-28. Money McPherson wants I, I it all, saying, huh? I said that, that, that would be such a perfect way for it to end. He kicks the winner over the Titans. He kicks the winner over the Chiefs. It would only be right for him to kick a Super Bowl game winner. Sam, I'm glad that you have the guts to pick the Bengals because I don't. I so badly want to pick the Bengals. But every every fiber of my being is want, want, wants me to pick the Bengals. But, I mean, from a football perspective, just analyzing each piece of the game – Tanner, you make a great point. Who's going to card Cooper Cup? You're going to be able to put Jalen Ramsey on uh, on Jamar Chase, but but I mean, when you have Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard they, Floyd, yeah, 
I mean, when he got those guys going after Burrow snap after snap, Cincinnati yeah, better be using a full, they better be using a fullback to to, <laughs> to help block back there because like that bull rush defense gonna, uh, sacked him nine times. When we're looking at football, I I don't know how I can go against the Rams. This is finally a Super Bowl where I'm gonna be happy with either team winning. Whether it be Stafford finally getting his first ring after being tortured in Detroit, or it being Burrow becoming the face of the NFL in my mind, getting the Super Bowl win, but I gotta go with the Rams. Too much talent. They've they've sold too much of their future to not get it done here. So I also like this to be a high scoring game. Give it to me. Give me 30-27 Rams over the Bengals. And some high scoring affairs we got picked here. Yeah. I would be really bummed if, if this one ended up being a blowout. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want that to happen. Nobody does, but I could see it happening. What's going to happen? Your guess is as good as ours. With that, we're going to wrap up the episode with some questions of the day. The first one coming from Justin Debs How will a possible Harden Simmons swap affect who's coming out of the East? Yeah, so a little update on this. It's most likely not going to happen. And I think that's a great thing, especially for the Nets. I think the Nets would be idiotic trading James Harden for uh, especially Ben Simmons, who's racked up a nice little fine count of $20 million just because he doesn't want to play. But that's a story for another day. So I'm just going with the fact that it it would be dumb. And I don't think either team. (laughs) I think in that case, obviously, the 76ers would get better uh, if they get Harden. Just that pick and roll with uh, Embiid and Harden would be kind of nice, to say the least. But I, I think it'd be idiotic. Yeah, the, the team getting better would uh, probably be. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you, you look at the question, it certainly, uh, certainly affects who comes out of the East. Uh, like you said, I mean, Embiid playing the way he's playing, now you have a certified playmaker, certified all-star, um, Sam's favorite player, no less, coming in and <laughs> running the pick and roll with Joel Embiid. I mean, that would, be, that would be so scary. The 76ers would get so much better and might even leapfrog themselves ahead of the Nets with getting own, with losing – James Harden now replacing him with the with Ben Simmons who, who the fit on that team I think is questionable you only have half of Kyrie Irving in a series and then Kevin Durant coming back from injuries so I, I think it might even leapfrog the Sixers above Brooklyn as the the favorite in the East so it would completely shake things up because that that Philly team would be really really good I mean this is already a Philly team with just Joel Embiid Tobias Harris Matisse Thybul just those guys alone that is uh that's one of the best records in the East right now. Mm-hmm. And so having James Harden on top of that, like that would be crazy for Philadelphia. It doesn't, it wouldn't make much sense. Just a straight up Simmons for Harden swap, just straight up Harden for Simmons. That's not going to happen. What could happen would be Harden for Simmons, Stiebel. They'd have to give up more than, Right. Than those two guys but, to go get, to go get, you know, Harden, you know, with, with Kevin Durant and the fact that, you know, he's, he's injury prone. You want a guy who you can, who's consistent, who you can rely upon. And, and especially with Kyrie only playing half of your games and that's not Simmons right now. It, it could be if, if he can, you know, get his head on straight, if, you know, he can stop battling, you know, his, his mental health issues and whatever else is going on in his life. But yeah, it, it wouldn't make sense for Brooklyn right now. Look, um, and obviously the, the Simmons for Harden value isn't the same, but I don't think Brooklyn would be crazy mm-hmm. if they were to go out and get Ben Simmons. We talked about Sabonis. I was only 25. So Ben Simmons, he's 25 yeah. years old. He's, he's an athletic guy, great size for his position. And I mean, he doesn't fit with the current makeup of the Nets, but if you, if you want to kind of switch up your outlook for the future because of one of your star players is only playing half the year, if you want to make a change there, I feel like having a Ben Simmons, a young, good, albeit a little bit, you know, unreliable, but good and, and 
unique player like like Ben Simmons, it would be a good leading, uh, jumping off point. And especially when you see that the, the future of James Harden in Brooklyn is, is pretty unsure right now. So, yeah, um, yeah. He's, I mean, Harden's I don't think a, it would be the most ridiculous thing, but I don't think yeah. the fit is good for this current team. Yeah, I think that's a good point because, you know, Harden, he's a free agent this year. You know, he could he could up and go wherever he wants. And, you know, so getting Simmons, getting something out of it would be decent. And I agree with what Which, you said. It could end up being a good a good trade for their future, but which yeah. I would like to, I would just like to throw this in there when you say he could leave a free agency, let's get something in return. You know who else did that? The Warriors. They ended up getting D'Angelo Russell in return, where everyone just kind of viewed it as, uh, who cares? They were able to flip him for Andrew Wiggins, who is now an all-star starter. So sure. the Warriors are a perfect example uh, of what can happen when, when you do just get something in return, have him blossom, and then he can become trade value. Uh, the next question we got here, uh, we're going to turn it over to you, Tanner, for this one. What are your thoughts on the MLB lockout. This one is from Zach McCormick. I, I, it, it's incredibly frustrating. And I, I don't even really know what to say anymore. Um, obviously, there's, there's blame on both sides, but it's not even blame. And, and I think that the, the owners and the, the MLB as a league is, is really, really being annoying. And if the, if the, the season suffers because of it. I know I will not be the only fan who is irate at, at, at the league and the owners. And just to kind of put it, dumb it way down, because you know a lot of this can, can get confusing, and I even get confused in reading it. I saw a tweet that perfectly summed up the situation. And it's like, it's a negotiation between the players and the league. And the, and the players say, I want $25. The league says, I'll give you five. They can't come to an agreement. A month later, the players say, all right, I'll take $20. The league says, I'll give you five. Can't come to an agreement. The players come back later and say, I want $15. The league says, I'll give you five. They can't come to an agreement. And then the league comes out and says, they're just not willing to negotiate. And <laughs> when they're continuously lowering their standards and you come back with the same lowball offer that none, the players showed no interest in, in the beginning, and then you come out and claim that they're not willing to negotiate, it's just wrong. And, and <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so tired over it. And uh, I just, I just hope and pray that, that the league can come, come to their senses because we need baseball. We do. We just need it this year. Next question we have here. What sport championship do you look forward to most each year? This one was asked by Dana Riley. We're, we're about to hop into it for me. It's the Super Bowl. And I, the NFL is one of my favorite sports. I don't know. But I mean, all of the all the festivities around the Super Bowl, the commercials, everything about this thing, this game, it, this is the biggest game, the biggest sports event of the year. This one this is the one that I look forward to the most every year. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'm going to take a little bit of a different route. I think the actual game might not be as exciting and has, has much, as much weight to it. But the postseason as a whole and what it means when this time comes around, it's got to be March Madness. Of course, you look forward to the month-long celebration of college basketball. You have games every single day or almost every day, starting every 10 minutes, it seems like. Crazy upsets, you know, everything top to bottom. Everything is awesome about March Madness. And then you, you bring in the championship game. I mean, you, should, you have college basketball's elite in a one in a one game scenario where, where anything can happen so so i'm i'm leaning towards march madness uh, not even that not necessarily just because of the game but the entire month the entire uh, build up to it is is the best in sports so i got march madness yeah i i agree with you tanner there there's nothing better than march madness um i the journey the upsets the setting up like nine TVs so you can watch all the games <laughs> at once, just calling in sick for work to <laughs> watch games, skipping class if you're in college or watching games while you're in class. It, there is no better time to be a sports fan than March Madness. But and we've had memorable games in the March Madness championship. One of the most uh, well-known is obviously uh, Villanova versus UNC with Chris Jenkins hitting that game winner, sending it off and 
movie like fashion. So I, it's hard to go against March Madness and the basketball championship. Yeah. I mean, that championship that you're talking about, Villanova and UNC, I mean, that has one of the most forgettable great shots of all time in Marcus Page. He, from three point range, double clutches the thing and still has enough, still has enough muscle to get it up there and you know, put it through, put his team up to where UNC, I mean, Villanova needed game. a last second. It tied the game. So it, uh, that was that was a great championship. I I get what you guys are saying about March Madness because there's in terms of an entire sports event, a postseason. There's nothing better than March Madness. But we're talking about a singular champ sports championship here. Where you know we're not talking about the pl- the path to get there, but the game. Do you, do you think the championship game for March Madness is better than the Super Bowl? One hundred percent. I don't think it's not even close for me. I mean, we've had many blowouts in the recent past uh, for the Super Bowl, and I don't think you. It's not as common in March Madness, so that's why I give the edge to March Madness. They're very different, um, but I think just from draw to the sports, the actual sport being played because Lord knows the Minnesota Vikings are making any Super Bowl anytime soon. I haven't recently. So viewing it from the lens of impartiality, um, I, I think the college basketball is easier to, to be excited about, I think. Uh, it, that's just the sports, because obviously the Super Bowl, you have the halftime show, you have the commercials, you have you know the get-together-with-friends, beer, wings, all that stuff. That, now, that, that's great. And I think as a whole, tying in the fanfare and the game, I might lean Super Bowl, but just, just at the game, I think, like I said, from a lens of impartiality, I think it's easier to get excited for college basketball than NFL when you know your team just is stuck in a, a purgatory of, of mediocrity. I guess that's a fair point because I'm, you know, I, I told you guys to get rid of the get rid of the path to there, and you know, but I also included the fanfare as as part of the Super Bowl. So yeah, in terms of the game itself. I mean, March Madness, it, I mean, that typically has consistently has more competitive games. Isn't it great the fact that we're sitting here in February and we're just about a month away from March? Mm. We, we got the Super Bowl and after the Super Bowl, we have, we have the ramp up to March Madness. So good times and sports are plenty here in the future. We have one more question. What's an iconic Super Bowl commercial? This one comes from Carol Godsey. Sam, you'll have to thank your mom for 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 this question. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So obviously, there's been so many iconic uh, Super Bowl commercials. I'm sticking with ones I've seen live. So like, I'm not including the Coca Cola one with me, Joe Green. Uh, catch this, kid. <laughs> but the one that. Immediately, I thought of when my mom asked me this question is the Dodge Ram God Made a Farmer commercial oh, from yeah. Super Bowl 13. For those of you who don't remember, is a super long one, is like two minutes, which doesn't sound like a long time, but in a field of 30 second commercials, it is yeah. extremely long. Uh, Paul Harvey narration uh, for that is just one of a kind. So that's my most iconic Super Bowl commercial. Yeah, that's a really good commercial right there. The one that stands out to me the most. When, when you ask me, what is the most iconic Super Bowl commercial? The one you remember the most. I got three words for you. Puppy, monkey, baby. Puppy, monkey, baby. Low that, I mean, quality it's, commercial. It's such a bad commercial. So strange, so weird. It just sticks in your mind so much. I mean, it was for Mountain Dew. Is that what it was it's for? It's a Mountain Dew commercial. Because here's yeah. the thing. When I say Puppy Monkey Baby, no one thinks about Mountain Dew. In terms of what the commercial was trying to do, maybe it was just trying to have the weirdest thing possible to try and have it stick in your head. I just think about the commercial itself. I don't even, I don't even realize that it was Mountain Dew. In, in terms of classic, actual good commercials, I mean, I have to throw in the late, great Betty White 
in, in the Snickers commercial. You're not you're not you when you're hungry. Betty White trash talking some mm-hmm. some you know Joe's playing some football out on some random field. I mean that that's an all time great. She one. gets flattened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kid. And from from the 2010 Super, <laughs> I am going to go with what I think honestly for what I can remember, the best ad campaign, because there were multiple commercials with this theme, best ad campaign in the history of, of life, in the history of ever. And that is going to be the E-Trade Baby commercials. Yes. That is the single greatest campaign <laughs> in commercial or advertising history. But one, the one in particular, I believe it was some, from Super Bowl 43, where there are two babies sitting there. And of course, yeah. one baby is, is spitting out some pretty intense uh, investing jargon and you know and, and they're having a back and forth and the other baby starts singing uh, please fix these broken wings and then uh, just like the classic banter of, of like no no stop this, this, this is not the time this is not the time to do that and, and the back and forth and, and just, just so just so comedically dad jokey yeah. But they're, of course, babies talking about uh, <laughs> finance jargon. It is absolutely hysterical. You can also throw in the one where he's playing golf with, with an actual adult and he calls him Shankopotamus because the, <laughs> the, his friend didn't have a great day on the links. And then, of course, the, the one where he gets his, he's in the crib on the, on the iPad doing some, some investing maintenance. Then the, the iPad gets taken away by his mom. <laughs> so then he pulls out a smartphone from under the, <laughs> under the blanket and it's like, oh a smartphone with an E-Trade app. And then he starts singing that nobody knows that he, <laughs> he was hiding that phone in the crib. Like I said, the single greatest and funniest ad campaign in its totality, but the individual one, the individual commercials are absolute gems. Notably, I think the one where the baby sings, please fix these broken wings because he wants to fly again. Absolutely I, hysterical. Mm-hmm. Must watch. That baby commercial goes, that's 2008. The Betty White one, that's 2010. Those are some of the best commercials. With that, that will wrap up episode 39. Make sure to throw us a follow on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at crunchtime underscore pod. The clock has now run out on this episode, so we'll see you in the next one on Crunch Time.